Hello, and welcome to The Violet Vulture. My name is Emmy, and I'm your host, and a multi-passionate, multidisciplinary storyteller, and a Detsula witch, and an all-around too-much person. I'm all about storytelling for self-exploration, liberation, embracing alternative wellness for those among us that are misfits or the morbidly inclined, and we're all about honoring our shadows here. A few announcements before we get going today. If you're wanting to keep the conversation going, you can keep up with me on Instagram at LastWayEmmy, my website, SoyEmmy.com, where you can get added to my newsletter, The Inner Circle. I hope to keep seeing you on the internet. On a final note, if you're listening to this when the episode drops, it means the doors are still open to book a tarot or Akashic Records reading with me for the month of September. Again, newsletter subscribers get all these details before I let social media know. So strongly recommend you join the inner circle if you're keen on getting first dips. Anyway, without further ado, let's get to today's episode. For those that missed my initial post on Instagram or aren't newsletter subscribers, you might be wondering why the little hiatus that we had for a minute there. Uh, My husband and I moved into an apartment in the end of May. We're really excited about getting settled in the new place, but quickly learned that there were a number of issues with the apartment. Undisclosed issues, water damage, a lot meant that we couldn't stay because my sensitive system couldn't handle being there without protective equipment. Being masked in your own home is a truly uncomfortable experience. You know, I try to keep things going here, but hunting in Chicago and any major city during peak season is really a trial in and of itself. So we had to make that our top priority and go all in. We're thankfully settled in the new place, but that was a huge haul. And while the hiatus was unplanned, it was absolutely necessary. You know, a number of people have asked as we've encountered this situation and past situations, what is it like to live with a chronic illness? Like, what is it like to be sensitive to as many environmental triggers as I am, like mold, for instance? And in many ways, it's not unlike poltergeist. Those that are less sensitive and less drastic cases, they won't notice a thing. No respiratory issues, no inflammation or changes in mental state. They may pick up on a slight moisture when they go to visit the bathroom or the basement, but think nothing of it. It's just what basements are like after all, with a little dampness. The sensitive ones, though, they possess an astuteness that feels otherworldly to everyone else, that like keen sense of knowing. The sensitive ones get that deep, almost unblinking stare. They detect, they fixate, they're acutely aware that something is different about the space. And they have an idea, but others brush it off. There are plenty of other logical explanations. You know, they're rooted in sexism, oftentimes, Like, you're a woman, you're a kid, you're overreacting. There's nothing there. All houses of a certain age have their quirks. You'll get used to it. 
it isn't until you have a full-blown infestation that it can no, no longer be passed off as a weird little happening. Even the people who are not sensitive begin to have symptoms, and seemingly overnight, the innocent bit of nothing is in fact too much for even them to ignore anymore. Like, oh my god, <laughs> they weren't kidding. By the time that they arrive to that, the force is coming very close to consuming the highly sensitive person. It takes a team of experts to come in, deal with the situation, and free this person from that vice grip situation. And even when you think you've purged it, it's hardly that simple. And yet again, it's the sensitive ones that know this should be true. Everyone vows to never let this happen again. Never again will they brush off your self-knowledge and intuition. In the back of your mind, you really hope that that's true. And more importantly, you hope to never have to worry about testing this again in the future at all. So yeah, it's something like being haunted and no one believing that it could possibly be as harrowing as you say it is. They don't believe it until they can see it. But... Unfortunately, in my case, when I learned I was haunted by environmental toxins in an apartment, the second time around, some of the people who said they wouldn't leave my side, who said they wouldn't ignore my intuition, asked me yet again to internalize these flags as things just brush off. That is why the first installment of what I'm calling the Gritty Growth Series begins with unpacking boundaries. The past two and a half months have been something I never want to replicate. No one, I think, would ever want to replicate it. But I also can't deny how much this experience has changed me for the better this time around. First time around, it felt like I was consumed by it all. And I refused to try to self-advocate and really figure out how to take care of myself and what felt like an impossible situation. And it just made it feel all the more impossible. And my relationships, health, career, they all suffered for it. The reason why this go of it to to relocate took only two and a half months instead of the six plus are that my husband and I did make very different choices. We worked together as a team and we both had to grow as people. You know, before we go further, I want to take a moment to define boundaries. Nidra Glover-Tawab of Set Boundaries Find Peace describes them as expectations and needs that help you feel safe and comfortable in relationships. I think it's also a matter of knowing what your values and limitations are, and then going and saying and doing everything you need to in order to remain in that healthy alignment. The thing about boundaries is that a lot of us do use them but we may go about them in the unhealthy ways. We, we may be more familiar with the two extreme ends of the spectrum, or we simply don't have enough of the healthy ones to offset the growth areas. Like oversharing, codependency, people-pleasing, accepting mistreatment. These are all forms of porous boundaries. And it's just as it sounds, you're more sponge than you are person. The other side of the spectrum is that stone wall persona that is impossible to read. They don't share, they see vulnerability as weakness, harshness as a means for setting good boundaries, but those are not good boundaries. 
they can quickly get into like low-key bullying territory if you're not careful. I know a lot of us feel resistant when we hear like, we need to set better boundaries or you need to set better boundaries. But like, let's take another second to lay out what these good boundaries are, these elusive good boundaries. What if you were super clear about your values? What if you valued your own opinion and you didn't immediately write it off to please other people? What if you said no when you meant to say no and made it clear what you're open to instead? I know those of us that are new to this may have some gut reactions like, well, I don't want to appear mean or what if this alienates people or I don't know if I could stomach it. And to that, I say, like, take a few deep breaths and do consider that if someone else were telling you a boundary, like, that made me feel uncomfortable, please stop. You wouldn't tell them to piss off. You would absolutely want to honor that in the interest of supporting them. So why do you assume that they would meet you with that energy? And I do get it better than many people. I am still actively working on better boundaries for myself defining and living my values, and unlearning my tendency to err on the side of porous boundaries. In reality, the rules and structure that boundaries provide us with are about valuing yourself, keeping your word to yourself. I could definitely offer lengthier breakdowns for setting and enforcing boundaries depending on the person, the place, context, but it really comes down to three things communication, action, and consistency. Sure, your boundaries may change slightly, you know, you're, but you're not going to go from being averse to someone driving your car without you in it to saying like, yeah, take my car out of Chicago and drive to Atlantic City. It's about seeing some value in planning and communicating your boundaries and not letting over planning or wanting to say the right thing, breed in action. We don't want to not say what needs to be said either. If you're angry, don't just word vomit. Again, that's not healthy boundary setting. You may end up erring on the side of rigid boundaries that don't actually align with you. And there's really no way that you would enforce those once you've cooled off. Sometimes a boundary conversation is about just saying it outright. Sometimes you need to build some context for how you arrive to that place and then lay out why it is you need to proceed with this new boundary. A few years back, I was friends with someone who was in a toxic relationship and I could tell it was entering trauma bonding territory and it was leaving me feeling dysregulated to interact with them. And I could tell that I was beginning to feel anxiety coming into work because I knew that that I interact with them, and then I may end up hearing about it. And I knew that it was upsetting to me because I saw the parallels between their experience and my own past experiences with toxic relationships. I knew that telling this person, you know, dump his ass just was not going to work. And I also needed to protect my energy too. So I sat her down one day and said that I would be open to hearing her talk about other topics, but I could no longer like talk about her boyfriend. It reminded me too much of my own history, and I really do want to preserve our relationship. So I asked that she'd honor this boundary. I did also clarify that if she felt physically unsafe, 
because it escalated to physical violence or if she was considering self-harm, that I did want to hear about that and that I did care about her safety. But it was becoming too much for me. And as not a social worker, we had hit the limit for what I could reasonably offer her. I continued to talk to her about other things at work. I could tell it was a little bit tense, but we just trucked along as best we could, still being friends. Some months later, though, I got a call from her and she let me know that our boundaries talk was a huge wake-up call for her, that she was leaving that partner that same night and would be moving in with her parents again. You know, hearing me express what I needed and that I still wanted a relationship with her made her reflect on just how dysfunctional her relationship was and that she deserved better. You know, I, I'm grateful for that. And I, I realized too that this kind of boundary setting conversation won't always yield like a thank you for doing that months later conversation. But, you know, if there are positive effects at the end of it all, trust that you did the right thing. Something that was a wake up call for me over the past summer was being confronted with the different areas of boundary setting that required my attention because we were definitely in crisis mode. When considering boundaries, there are a few different areas that you could be contending with, like there are physical boundaries, sexual, intellectual, emotional, material, time. They, they could intersect with loved ones or boundaries or lack thereof with work, defining boundaries with, with social media. You know, we could definitely split this, you know, down further and further, but those are just some of the basic areas that they could end up covering. Like a very obvious physical boundary that I had to address was that I simply couldn't live in that apartment. Too much work needed to be done, and I need a psychologically and physically safe place to work and exist. I deserved to have a place to come into that did not give me crazy anxiety or rashes or anything else. I knew that I had done so much work to improve my gut, immune, and nervous system health that to settle for backsliding and just accepting it as is in the interest of like not rocking the boat was unacceptable. Another obvious one, I needed to set limits at work. There is simply no way I could be expected to be fully on while navigating housing insecurity. Maybe I could have tried to keep up with my rhythm, but I knew that I wouldn't be able to keep up with the momentum and I didn't want my credibility to take a hit by promising what I knew I couldn't deliver. You know, also related, I know everyone is talking about quiet quitting right now. Um, But come on, guys, it's clocking in and out. It's just doing your job, acting your wage. Those are work boundaries. And this concept of how it could hurt your career is the real damaging and damning thing of it all. You know, I made the other kind of boundary call of taking a step back from the podcast, promoting things on social media, you know, scripting, recording, editing, developing content in Canva and Figma all take time, energy, focus. And I knew that even trying to still scroll on Instagram to like keep up with whatever was happening took a lot out of me then because it was beginning to make me feel that like FOMO feeling. Like, damn, look at everyone being able to have like a hot ghoul summer while 
we're stuck in this hot car and looking at apartments that may already be rented out for all we know. We were already under plenty of stress as it is. I knew that I couldn't effectively go the route of challenging that self-comparison. So I opted for putting time limits on how long I would be on Instagram or even saying, I'm just not going to post at all. And maybe I don't look at the feeds for too long. Maybe I don't go on the stories because that's what really sucks me in. It isn't swiping anymore. It's clicking through all the individual stories. I'm glad I did that because the alternative was resenting people that I was comparing myself to who didn't deserve it. I want people to be doing their best and I want people to be enjoying their time. I want to be happy for people who were able to have a slower time this summer. And preserving those relationships is something that I'm glad I prioritized. The hardest boundary setting moment was the decision to stay with friends and my brother during the rest of the search. I had tried to stay in my parents for some time, but that just wasn't working. I think a lot of other Latine, Afro-Indigenous folks, you know, folks of color may vibe with the boundaryless existence that they may have had with their parents, getting treated like a little adult when you were a kid and being treated like a child whose self-knowledge could be trusted as an adult is maddening. And it's one of the biggest drivers of poor boundary setting as an adult in my experience. With poorly processed trauma as a close second, uh, but I could probably argue that those are still pretty closely related. My husband and I being seen as a team has been something we've been trying to enforce for a long time with my family. It's been met with like mixed poor results. It goes as far back as our wedding, you know, not to get too into the weeds on it, but the arrangement of it stood was making me feel like I couldn't trust myself, that I couldn't be trusted to find a good, safe, beautiful place to live. Made me feel like we weren't respected for decisions that we had made as a couple. You know, we made decisions that made sense for us and it was becoming too much to have the peanut gallery offer input where it wasn't welcome or asked for or helpful. You know, I, I did try to lay down boundaries verbally. I tried time and time again, only for it to blow up in my face. So Unfortunately, the other option as far as boundaries go is terminating the relationship or terminating a portion of the relationship in the interest of making sure that you are safe. Removing myself from situation was the best way to figure out where we could pick it up after. You know, we're trying to figure out what a healthy relationship even means. And there's no one right way, but I made the best choice for myself and my marriage as I possibly could. It's all any of us can do is reflect on your needs, your priorities, communicate them, and just try. I'm still learning and trying, and I know I know I could keep getting better, and I do want to keep getting better, but I do want to take stock of how far I've come in this growth. It sucked. <laughs> it doesn't feel good. You know, it's tested relationships, but a lot is better now because of it. And, you know, if you are looking for even a little bit more inspo in all of this, 
know that the person who is one of the best at setting boundaries is actually my 10-year-old nephew. He will tell you exactly how he wants to be treated and what does and does not make him comfortable. I remember describing his haircut to him as the quintessential like emo kid haircut. And he said, please don't call me emo. I don't like it. And I took a step back. I checked my own reaction and I said, okay, got it. I won't do that again. I made it clear I liked being called emo growing up, but that I understood that it was cool if he wasn't into it. And then he felt comfortable enough then to explain what it meant among his friend group. And I apologized and again, thanked him for telling me what he needed. So yeah, the boy's the best at it. I'm 31 and I'm still trying to match that energy. You know, James Baldwin said, children have never been very good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. It's ever too late to be a better role model. It's ever too late to look for better role models, whether they're a podcaster like me or my sagely nephew. You know, you deserve to be heard. You deserve to feel safe in your homes, workplaces, relationships, families, and so do your loved ones. Don't be surprised if when you begin to employ a boundary setting practice, if this actually empowers them to do the same thing. And it begins this whole new cycle of fresh communication. I know it's hard to unlearn, but we need to stop seeing boundary setting as picking a fight, but to consider this as an opportunity to fight for the relationship. It's when you revert back to those like old bad habits of like silence and codependency and sometimes like outright abusive behavior that you have to wonder if you need to make some even harder choices, but cross that bridge when you get to it. Whether you have to audit your boundaries as part of a general self-care ritual or because you know things aren't working and changes need to be made, treat it like hydration. You need to do this in order to survive and you need more in order to properly thrive. And much like being dehydrated, once you start getting yourself back on track, you'll realize just how parched you were all along. Don't let yourself go thirsty again. That's all for today's episode, everyone. If you're listening in on Apple Podcasts, please go ahead and leave a five-star review. We really helps the podcast, helps other people find the podcast. If you're listening in other platforms, even giving a five-star rating really helps us to be seen by other people. And go ahead and subscribe and share this episode with even one person you think would benefit from today's topics on The Violet Vulture. Again, you can keep up with me on Instagram at LastAwayEmmy, my website, SwayEmmy.com, or you can get added to my newsletter, The Inner Circle. I hope to keep seeing you on the internet. That's all for today, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Violet Vulture. Bye for now. <laughs>